Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Heard Tell. Ah, Heard Tell Show. It's a Thursday, folks. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty of the week. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you so much for joining us today for Heard Tell with the most precious thing you have, your time. A couple different stories we're going to touch into. We're going to update the Mark Meadows situation. Uh, he got himself in a little trouble over voter registration, voter fraud. Uh, the voting system has struck back, if you will. Also, uh, an absolute bonker story involving the Secret Service getting duped to agents, to people posing as federal agents, was able to get as close as being on a detail with the First Lady. Shocking story of government incompetence and corruption. We're going to touch on that. Uh, we'll end the program on a high note like we always do. We're going to go over to England, a charity that works with ex-criminals once they get out of prison, helping them put their lives back together by getting them jobs. We'll talk about that. Great guest today. She's back. Uh, Brooke Medina, she promised she'd come back when the North Carolina Senate race Civitas poll would come out. It's out. It's making national headlines because of the information they're in. We're going to talk to her about it. Brooke Medina, uh, the comms vice president for the John Locke Foundation. They have the Civitas poll out. Going to talk a little U.S. Senate race. Going to talk about some other North Carolina folks that are on national news. Uh, Madison Cawthorn, Mark Meadows. We just See, that's twice we've had to talk about him. That means there's no good afoot as there usually is with that particular individual. Brooke Medina as our guest today. But first, uh, there is some wanton corruption that has been found in our political system. This is outrageous. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Benjamin resigns following campaign finance indictment. Brian A. Benjamin, New York's second in command to Governor Katie Hockel, was charged with bribery, fraud, and falsification of record. Well, this sounds bad. Let's dig into this a little bit. Um, Governor Hockle, who selected Benjamin to be her lieutenant governor less than a year ago, announced that he was stepping down immediately, quote, while the legal process plays out. Now, these allegations go back to when he was a state senator, not when he was the lieutenant governor. Uh, the five count indictment, this is uh, from the New York Times, charging Mr. Benjamin, said that while he was a state senator, he conspired to direct $50,000 in state funds to the Harlem Real Estate Developers Charity. In exchange, the developer garnered thousands of dollars in illegal contributions to Mr. Benjamin's 2020 state Senate campaign and his unsuccessful 2021 bid for New York City Comptroller. Mr. Benjamin, who pled not guilty on Tuesday, was also accused of offering to help the developer, Gerald Migdal, <coughs> Gerald Migdal obtain a zoning variance if he made a $15,000 donation to a separate fund of the state Senate Democrats. Oh, good old-fashioned New York City pay for play for a zoning variance. That's very original. Uh, we uh, have a former president who was a master at that sort of thing, by the way. The developer was arrested on federal charges in November and pled not guilty at the time. This is a simple story of corruption. Damian Williams, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, said 
at a news conference before Mr. Benjamin's resignation. Taxpayer money for campaign contributions, a quid pro quo, this for that. That's bribery. Plain and simple, the resignation of Mr. Benjamin could prove a serious political liability to Ms. Hockle, who took officer last year after Governor Andrew Cuomo resigned in disgrace. Boy, there's a bunch of corruption up in the Empire State. Who would have thunk it? Although she has not implicated any of the allegations against Mr. Benjamin, this indictment of her handpicked number two threatens to undercut Ms. Hockle's vow to turn the page on an era scandal in Albany. Man, that is a whole bunch of words before we got to his political party. He's a Democrat. Of course, it's New York State, so you kind of knew that. It's amazing they didn't mention one time in there that he's a Democrat. Boy, these Democrats are just running ragged with the corruption. The big media is covering their tracks. Nobody is holding these people accountable. The Democratic parties are all corrupt. It's amazing. It's terrible. What? Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Whoa, what do we got here? South Dakota, reading from the AP News. House on Tuesday impeached State Attorney General Jason Ravensburg over a 2020 car crash in which he killed a pedestrian, but initially said he might have struck a deer or another large animal. Ravensburg, a Republican, is the first official to be impeached in South Dakota history. He will at least temporarily be removed from office pending the historic Senate trial, where it takes a two-thirds majority to convict on impeachment charges. The Senate must wait at least 20 days to hold a trial, but has yet to set a date. Ravensburg pleaded no contest last year to a pair of traffic misdemeanors in the crash, including making an illegal lane change. He has cast Joseph Bauerverse, that's the victim's death, a tragic incident. In narrowly voting to impeach the state's top prosecutor, the Republican-controlled House charged Ravensburg with committing crimes that caused someone's death, making, quote, numerous misrepresentation to law enforcement after the crash and using his office to navigate the criminal investigation. As Senate conviction would mean Ravsburg would be barred from holding any state office in the future. When we're dealing with life of one of your citizens, I think that weighs heavily on everyone, said Republican Representative Will Mortensen, who introduced the articles of impeachment. Ravsburg said in a statement he's looking forward to the Senate trial where I believe I will be vindicated. Meanwhile, Team Mormon, the attorney general's chief of staff, said his staff would professionally dedicate ourselves to their work while Ravsburg is forced to take leave. The House the Highway Patrol concluded that Ravsburg card crossed completely onto the highway before shoulder before hitting Bover, and criminal investigators said later they didn't believe someone of Ravensburg's statements. The House rejected the recommendation of a GOP-backed majority report for a special investigatory committee, which argued that anything wrong he did was not part of his official duties in office. All oh, to hell with that. I hate that line. We'll talk about that in a second. But even Republican lawmakers who argued his actions did not meet constitutional grounds for impeachment said Ravsburg should resign. Moral of the story, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. If you're a corrupt person in office, if you're not a functional adult, if you do something criminal like kill someone and then lie about it and use your office to try to cover it up or get caught doing bribery or like Andrew Cuomo, get caught mistreating and abusing women and then using your brother at CNN to try to cover it all up. I don't care what your political party is. You don't belong in office. You ought to be run out. You ought to be publicly shamed until you repent for your misdeeds, and then you should never be allowed elected office again. This stuff shouldn't be hard, but far too many people want to rah-rah their own teams. I've told you this before. My first election was the 98 midterms. That's the Clinton impeachment midterm, by the way, and that's when we had President Clinton lying about his affairs and all that. He got impeached for it, and we also had to go through two different Republican speakers of the House for their own lying and their own misdeeds just to get the impeachment forward. Turtles all the way down, folks. 
If they're corrupt, get them out of there. Don't go rah-rah on your team jersey over anybody who's corrupt. You're not going to get good stuff from them, and they're just going to drag you down with them. So the Democrats in New York State, the Republicans in South Dakota, good on you. Get rid of the riffraff, even if you had to get drug kicking and screaming politically to do so. I'm glad, at least in this case, they're doing the right thing and prosecuting the baddies. We need to do more of that. We need to call the herd a lot more when it comes to our elected officials. The only way they will ever behave themselves is if they are in fear of their office from us, the electorate. I think Congress should kick about four or five members of Congress out right now, today, for being unfit. And it might even keep some of the rest of that hot mess a little bit more honest when it comes to our time, our money, and our country. When it comes to morality, we've been debating this for a couple of years about how, well, they don't have to be a moral person. They just have to do the job. How are they going to do that? Push comes to shove, the immorality is going to win out. I hate that line in this piece. I'm going to read it again. The House rejected the recommendations. This is from the AP story out of South Dakota. I'm reading it again on purpose. Listen, the House rejected the recommendation of a GOP-backed majority report for a special investigatory committee, which argued that anything wrong he did was not part of his official duties, quote, in office. No, there's no such thing. If you kill a guy and you're holding an office, you shouldn't get to hold that office anymore. It doesn't matter that you did it on your off time. You still did it. You're unfit for office. You can't lead citizens when you accidentally or otherwise kill one and then turn around and lie about it and use that same system of government to try to cover it up. You can't be in the state of New York and try to uphold the law, which was your duty, which was your sworn duty when you're running around taking bribes and doing rot-level corruption. Now, we're all adults. We understand there's corruption in politics of various degrees all the time. Fine, if you want to go down the immoral route, I'll put it to you this way. If you're not good enough to do base-level political corruptions without getting caught, you're not good enough to do the job in the first place. So if the moral argument doesn't satisfy you, maybe the immoral argument. If you're incompetent at being corrupt, you're not going to get anything done as an elected official anyway. Run them off for that reason. Either which way, back to the main point, keep the main thing the main thing. Wrongdoers, unworthy schemers, FDR called them in his fireside speech about D-Day. I like that terminology. Bad people, non-functioning adults, folks that you wouldn't let anywhere near your kids, your family, or your workplace, or your home. Don't let them in elected office. And if they're in elected office, get them out of there, either electorally, judicially, or legislative processes like impeachment. Enough's enough. And unless we do the house cleaning, the cleaning will never get done. It's up to you. What kind of government do you want? Because it represents you. You want all that corruption? Just stay quiet about it. You want to do something about it? Let's start making some noise. More Hurtel right after this. Here is an absolute bonker story as we continue on Herd Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you for staying with us. Did you hear about this? You might have heard tell. The case of duped Secret Service agents called an alarming agency breach. Long story short, Secret Service leaders 
uh, are having to do some walk back now because what happened, they were allegedly hoodwinked by two men impersonating federal agents and plying them with gifts, telling them congressional committees and allies that the severity of the breach has been overblown by prosecutors in the media, according to people familiar with the conversations. We're going to work off the Washington Post article here. But one of these agents assisted to protect First Lady Jill Biden. That's pretty deep into the process here if they faked their way that far. The case, this is from the Washington Post, is the latest in a string of embarrassing security breaches and incidents of misconduct involving the Secret Service over the past decade. The scandals have included agents getting drunk and hiring prostitutes on a trip to Cartagena, Colombia in 2012, an incident in 2014 when a wounded veteran was able to jump the White House fence and get past dozens of armed Secret Service officers and into the executive mansion. And an officer investigated last year after posting comments on Facebook in which she accused lawmakers who formalized President Biden's win of treason. Sounds like a good group of folks that we probably should be stopping in the Secret Service should have much better success at stopping. Continuing, according to federal prosecutors, Arian Tezer Terezidi, have no idea how to pronounce his name, 40, and Hader Ali, 35, posed as Department of Homeland Security agents and offered two agents and two officers with the Secret Service, as well as one DHS officer, a string of gifts beginning at least in February 2021, possibly as early as February of 2020. So this has been going on almost two years now. The gifts that prosecutors say were accepted included iPhone surveillance systems, a drone, a flat screen TV, a case for storing an assault rifle, a generator, law enforcement paraphernalia, and the use of what Tara Zadie characterized as a government vehicle. The FBI also said the two Secret Service uniformed officers accepted free $40,000 a year rental apartments from Terazadi, I'm probably still saying it wrong, for about a year in the crossing, a luxury Navy Yard apartment complex where the two suspects are alleged to have had unusual control over several apartments and where they had set up surveillance. One of the officers told investigation that Terazadi claimed DHS had approved extra rooms as part of his operation that the officer could live in for free. The other said Terazadi claimed another federal law enforcement officer was living rent free. Boy, there's a whole lot of wrong here. The article goes on. Uh, the nut of it down at the bottom is this. Some former Secret Service agents say the incident shows how easily someone could target agency staffers to obtain highly classified information about both the president's movement and other national security matters. They say the agency needs to study what weaknesses in policy or training may have allowed the situation to happen and how it went undiscovered by the agency for up to two years. The case was uncovered only after a postal inspector who was investigating an unrelated alleged assault on a mail carrier at the apartment building found out about it. The physical protection of the president and the vice president is crucial to the function of our democracy, said one former agent who spoke under the condition of anonymity. We have the first minority woman vice president. Both Biden and Harris are polarizing figures. Now we learn people who have access to the White House, Harris and Biden can be duped. This is not good. Prosecutors have emphasized their investigation is in the early stages. Uh, long story short, the Secret Service is full of many fine people. They have a fine history of bravery. Uh, they have done great work. They're also a government agency, which means they are prone to all the problems of any government agency, like bureaucracy, like getting top-heavy, like losing their mission focus and having mission creep into other areas. And they're also full of people. And no matter who you are, people are full of human nature. Human nature is undefeated unless kept in very close check. You start throwing around money, luxury apartments, gifts, vehicles, somebody's going to break. They need to review their people. They need to find out why this happened, and they need to prevent it from happening ahead of time. 
But all those things are not just policy things. They better focus on the people. It's the people that protect the president, the vice president, and others in government. And it's people who are the most vulnerable to any system of security. More Hertel right after this. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Hurt Tell. She's back. Anytime we got to talk North Carolina politics, this is our go-to. She's the communications person for the John Locke Foundation in North Carolina. Brooke Medina, our good friend. Welcome back. Been a little hey, bit. Hey, I'm back. Yeah. So glad to be here. <laughs> so last time we talked to you, we had just had a Senate debate. We had had the uh, Carolina Liberty Conference and Ted Budd no-showed it was kind of the headline of that conference. We talked about it. Folks can go back and listen to that conversation right here on Hurt Tell. Now, we said we would talk again when the Civitas polling came out. Well, here it be. We got the Civitas polling, and we've got some surprises here that actually made national news. I saw uh, Real Clear picked it up and was running with it. Tell us what came out in the Civitas poll on the North Carolina Senate that's got everybody kind of eye-popped. Yeah, so just to remind everyone, the previous poll that we did was back in January of GOP primary voters, and that was where uh, Pat McCrory and Ted Budd were almost neck and neck. McCrory had a little bit of a lead. Um, Now that lead is gone, and Ted Budd is decidedly the leading candidate at the moment. Um, But also interestingly, so Budd, for example, is leading McCrory, Walker, Eastman, and then all of the other candidates. But um, but there's still many, many undecided voters in this race, which is interesting because the primary is only about a month away. So uh, this is an interesting poll, but I think it's telling us that a Trump endorsement actually does matter quite a bit. And uh, so does a bunch of club for growth money, which Bud has both of those. Yeah, they've been running ads nonstop. He has that endorsement. But the thing that's kind of befuddled us, and we talked about this last time, is that's all he's doing. He's not running anything vaguely resembling a traditional campaign. Uh, Maybe he's going to ramp it up in the next 30 days, but his strategy really seems to be show pictures of Trump with his arm around him and hope for the best. Have you seen anything differently? Because this is very, this is kind of a confounding strategy. It's working, apparently, but this is not the traditional way to win politics in the state of North Carolina, is it? It's not or it wasn't prior to Trump, I would say, but we polled these voters and over half of them said a Trump endorsement makes all the difference in the world for them in terms of who they're going to be voting for. A lot of them are still very loyal to the former president. And so this matters to them and uh, his endorsement matters to them. I'll also be interested in seeing 
how his endorsement plays with some of the congressional seats as well. Um, but I think that this is one of those cases where we're seeing a, um, a North Carolina electorate on the GOP side that just um, they're still they're still holding on to 2020 in a lot of ways and, and maybe even 2016. And uh, so. Bud's strategy has been hang on to that endorsement um, and, and and allow that to be the coattails on which he rides on in some in some respects. Now, I'm really bad at math, but help me with this, because the pushback on that would be, OK, half of the voters say they want the Trump endorsed candidate. Fair enough. Bud's winning. He's up uh, 11, 10 or 11 points, statistically 11 points on this poll. But there's 39 percent undecided as well that's incongruent to me because half of them can't say, well, the endorsement matters. And then 39% of them are still undecided. What's going to decide this race in the next uh, 36 days as we sit here looking at it? Cause I don't think there's going to be something super dynamic. We pretty much know what we know about these candidates, Bud's kind of avoiding the spotlight in a lot of ways. Is there anything that's really going to move the needle here on out? Or is it just all Trump all the time from here until May? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think if we've learned anything from politics, even going back to the 2016 election, 2016 election, um, things can change in a very, very short matter of time. And uh, we only need to look at Hillary Clinton's rise and then quick descent in 2016 for that. But um, the undecided is when you narrow that field and you look more closely at the crosstabs of this poll, uh, the undecideds narrow and go down by down to 29% once you um once you eliminate some of these senate candidates right now we have a wide variety uh, an array of republican senate candidates um and so when you only narrow it to four the four top contenders which are bud walker mccrory and eastman uh that number of undecideds drops decidedly However, I think that uh, we're going to see more Club for Growth ads. We're going to see more other PAC ads. McCrory is kind of turning up the heat as well. Um, I wouldn't count on anything or take anything for granted if I were part of the Bud campaign or the McCrory campaign. And uh, Walker continues to insist he is still in this race. Real quick, because we like to, we don't just like to, you know, cover the news. We want to explain it. You said something really important there because it's something I learned when I started writing. Explain to folks when they see these poll numbers, there's the headline and everybody just sees the headline and runs with it. Just walk folks through for just a second, just so they understand how these things work, what a cross tab is. Because if you if you get these poll numbers, they tell you one thing, but you know, statistics, the great Vince Scully always says, you know, they're like a lamppost, everybody's illuminating, but a lot of times they're just holding a drunk up. These cross tabs are where the data is. So just explain to folks real quick, especially a really good, well done poll like the Civitas poll. That's why we use it. Those cross tabs give you a lot of additional information. They give you the context that the headline doesn't always. So just explain to folks real quick how that works and how they can check on those things. Because that's one of the things when I look at a poll is like, if they don't show me the cross tabs, if they don't give me that raw data to dig into, that's a poll that I'm going to look suspiciously at. Yeah, and there are many mainstream polls out there that do not include the cross tabs. Uh, we make sure that we always include that in all of our Civitas polls. So if you go to johnlock.org slash polls, you're going to be able to find not only the top lines, which is like those um, those initial numbers that are just the more basic ones. It's the question, and then it's the results from that question. But the cross tabs 
are kind of what their names say uh, suggest it, it is the cross alignment of one question with another question. So you think about it kind of like as an X, Y axis, and um, it will explain to uh, those who are reading it. Okay. If a female in the 15 or 34 to 50 year old demographic also said, um, that she was going to vote for Bud. We can also look at what other questions she answered and said maybe that she was also planning on voting for Trump in 2024 if he was running. So it helps us define or narrow down what kind of respondent is actually answering these questions. And that's really helpful for political campaigns, but also people who are in public policy like us, where we're trying to better understand people. And we want to understand what drives them. And if you only ask someone one question, like, how are you doing today? Um, they might automatically say fine, but you have to drill down into uh, into some deeper questions or other questions to properly contextualize. And that's what crosstabs do. It can be a little um, it can be, a, I don't know, it can be a little difficult to read them at times. So I suggest coffee beforehand, uh, but they are very helpful means of information or data points that can give us a better understanding of really where the electorate is at. Yeah. Uh, our friend Brooke Medina is back with us. She does communications for John Locke Foundation. This is the Civitas poll we're talking about, North Carolina Senate race. Okay. So the thing with this race, though, and you touched in it on the poll where they wrote it up at carolinajournal.com. Uh, the magic number on this race is actually not just uh, the plurality of voters. The actual magic number is 30%, because in the state of North Carolina in this race, 30% is going to avoid a runoff. So obviously, Bud wants to try to coast his way above it. McCrory, who's the nearest competitor, and Walker, by extension, they want to drag him down below it. Uh, that's kind of the race within the race right now, isn't it? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. And that's an important point. And so if you are one of these, uh, if you're a supporter or the actual candidate yourself, uh, you need to keep these sorts of numbers in mind and again, not take anything for granted. Uh, the North Carolina electorate is quickly changing, but this is obviously uh, a statewide race. It's not just a congressional district. And so McCrory, Bud Walker, Eastman, they all have to be mindful of um, the dynamics within North Carolina and have to reach a wide array of voters all across the state. Um, but also they have to be red media enough to appeal to the GOP primary voters, which are going to be um, the base of the base compared to the general election voters where they're going to have to make a a pivot to uh, win a, a general election against the Democratic candidate, who in all likelihood will be Sheree Beasley. All right. And for folks that are not familiar, just real quickly, uh, break down for them, because all the focus has been on the Republican side. Uh, there is going to be a general election, regardless of whether there's a runoff or not. Talk about Beasley for a minute, because she's not getting a lot of the attention because there are all the money and all the attentions on the GOP side. But North Carolina, it's trended redder, but it's still a competitive state. Tell us about the Democratic candidate for Senate that we're assuming is probably going to be the nominee. Yeah, that's um, and, and this is the thing. There's a statewide race right now. We have two Republicans in Senate uh, from North Carolina. But Sheree Beasley was a former uh, Supreme Court justice on the state Supreme Court and um, is certainly one that 
could be formidable um, against the Senate, uh, the Republican candidate for Senate. And so I think that the Democrat strategy right now is just let the Republicans go at it. Uh, the Democrats are pretty good at coalescing around a candidate. And so they're saving their money. They're saving their war chest and they're going to take it out uh, as it gets a little bit closer to the election. But North Carolina, yes, it is trending a little bit more center right. Uh, but even so, our council of state, these are our highest offices that are statewide, such as the governor, lieutenant governor, treasurer, attorney general. That's a mixture of Democrats and Republicans. And so that um, indicates, as well as just the North Carolina demographics changing and becoming more diverse, um, it indicates that no Republican candidate should uh, probably spend all of their war chest just winning this primary race. They're going to have to ramp up their fundraising and pivot to a Democratic uh, opponent very soon. Yeah, talking to Brooke Medina, uh, little North Carolina politics. Going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to put a bow on the polling for the Senate. We're also going to talk about uh, some other North Carolinians that have been in the news not for good reasons in the political side. We'll talk a little bit about that more with Brooke Medina right after this. Tell talking to our good friend Brooke Medina. She's got polling data. She's got opinions. She's got insight. We always enjoy having her on Tell. Appreciate her time today. Okay. One of the things that's happening now is the Trump endorsement is obviously the whole story with Ted Budd. He's starting to get some other endorsements. Uh, President, former President Trump was in Selma uh, in the last few days. Uh, Mark Robinson came out and endorsed Budd. For people that aren't familiar with North Carolina politics, let them know who Mark Robinson is. That kind of surprised a few people. Uh, I do think that is a meaningful endorsement. Let folks know about Mark Robinson and why that kind of got folks' attention when he did that on stage with Trump standing there and endorsed Ted Budd. Yeah, Mark Robinson is our lieutenant governor. He's the first black lieutenant governor of the state. And uh, he has a strong, solid base of Republican voters. And so uh, he is actually the most popular and has the highest favorability ratings of uh, Republican political figures right now across the state. Uh, that was another question that we asked in our polling, uh, short, followed in short order by Senator Tom Tillis, which is kind of interesting because Tom Tillis a couple of years ago had the lowest approval ratings in all of the Senate. So that's a comeback story for you, but it's a little sidebar there. But Mark Robinson has uh, been no stranger to political flack. Um, he has said a number of bombastic things from church pulpits. He is often invited to those. Um, and Sarah, so there is some divisiveness, I would say, in the uh, between the younger North Carolina Republicans and maybe those that are older or more socially conservative. Um, so there's been some back and forth there. But even so, generally speaking, Lieutenant Governor Robinson has a lot of approval across the state. And so a, his endorsement of Bud means even more because I would say even more North Carolinians are familiar with his name than they are with Ted Bud's. 
Yeah, and it's a pretty open secret that he's going to be running for governor just as soon as we get this 2020 midterm cycle out of the way. Everybody's expecting that. We'll we'll be talking about that down the road with you, I'm sure. Uh, okay, a couple other things going on in the Old North State. A uh, lot of attention to uh, the youngest congressman uh, of recent vintage, uh, Madison Cawthorn, out in the western part of North Carolina, and none of it's good. Um you know, you're based out of Raleigh. You do Civitas. You do John Locke. You guys are plugged in. You do a lot of policy stuff. The nonsense and the noise around this individual, this stuff seeps through. It distracts. But when you're trying to do policy stuff, is this one of those things where it keeps popping up and it's just starting to really, really annoy everybody on top of the nonsense stuff that he does? Well, we certainly cover him um in Carolina Journal, which is our news outlet, we have a print edition and an online edition. And so there are no shortage of stories related to Congressman Cawthorn there. Uh, but he, yeah, he's been under a lot of um, media scrutiny as well as public scrutiny and his uh, his approval ratings are showing it. Uh, he is young, like you noted, um, but he's got a lot of responsibility. And so being young is really no excuse for, uh, you know, behaving in some of the ways that he has behaved as of late, uh, talking about D.C. parties, wild drug laden and uh, sex induced uh, sex laden D.C. parties, um, as well as calling Vla- uh, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, a thug. But he is. um He's appealing to a certain base of his his voters, um, but I don't know how that's going to play in the in the primaries. He ha- we have Chuck Edwards, who is one of his opponents, and it is showing the polling is showing from the Edwards campaign that he's actually gaining on Cawthorn. So we'll see we'll see how Cawthorn does. He spent a term in D.C. has not been very present for a lot of it, and that's one of the chief criticisms against him. And then he's been saying just some things that uh, that that definitely make people kind of look askance at him and wonder where where his maturity is. There's there's a part of this because the antics and the silly and I I find him just his behavior reprehensible on just a human level, let alone the politics of it. There's a big history in North Carolina. Uh, Richard Burr, who's the outgoing senator, of course, he has the the stock scandal, which is what's put him on the shelf. Richard Burr, uh, part of the reason Tom Tillis's ratings have rebounded, most of the congressional de- delegation, both Democrat and Republican, there's a long tradition in the state of North Carolina, and you can speak to this. Your elected officials, when you go to that congressional office, when you go to that Senate office, you're going to get some kind of an answer. You're going to get some kind of personal service. That's why I think that's a big reason why Tom Tillis's stuff is rebounded. Uh, Richard Burr was well known for this. Like you, you got an answer when you went to his office. If you don't do that kind of work, that's not the stuff that gets on Twitter. That's not the stuff that gets on Facebook. It doesn't get talked about on CNN. But when people need something and they go to their congressman for it and you're not present and you're not there and you don't, I'm just going to say it. You don't have a competent staff to do those things. That's the stuff that really kills you when you go to the polling, because the people that are serious and show up to vote, those are things they still consider, even though it doesn't trend on Twitter. Right. Yeah, that's that's the human side of all of this is treating your constituents like people 
and not just numbers that you need to maintain power. Um, this isn't a reality TV show. These are real American lives. And uh, when you exert some sort of level of uh, authority over them and you are indicating that you're incompetent to do that, uh, word gets around, even if it isn't what catches fire on social media. Um, a little uh, story about Senator Burr is that uh, just a personal story was that when my mom and dad were in a very, very um, life-threatening car wreck, uh, I didn't have my passport. It was, well, I had a passport, but it was expired. And Senator Burr's office helped me out so that I could get a passport expedited and fly out to the Dominican Republic that very next day. But that speaks to constituent services. You're there to help your constituents, uh, not just go on podcasts and talk about wild DC uh, drug-induced parties. Yeah, and full bias and on the table for me. Uh, when I got my VA disability stuff, I went through uh, Senator Burr's office. They kind of helped get that log jam fixed out. So I'll, I'll throw that one out there too. His staff uh, were always very good with us and trying to do things like that. Okay, another guy from the western part of North Carolina used to be a congressman, uh, more famously known lately for being the chief of staff for the Trump administration in the latter days, very much a focus of the January 6th investigation stuff. Mark Meadows, uh, but apart from the January 6th committee issues he's having, he's gotten himself some bad press back in North Carolina over, of all things, election fraud, uh, and not the kind he accused everybody else of. You want to set this story up? Because it's, it's, it's one of those, look, I'm from West Virginia. We've done some hillbilly stuff. This is some hillbilly stuff right here that he tried to pull with this one. Yeah, um, Dr. Andy Jackson, who's the head of our Civitas Center for Public Integrity, has written about this. Um, so Mark Meadows, it appears there were questions surrounding whether or not he was actually legally allowed to vote in North Carolina. And um, that had to do with his voter registration status. But it's just um, it's pretty rich, given all of the election integrity claims that have come from the Trump, Trump administration. Um, and then now. Trump's own former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, is in hot water related to it. Uh, but it also exposes some of the North Carolina voter verification flaws. And so I would refer your listeners to johnlock.org, where we talk about this and we examine whether or not uh, former Congressman Meadows did violate the law. And if he did, what is the recourse? How do you even address things like this? And North Carolina's election laws are so uh, regularly in the courts um, that it's hard to it's hard to actually uh, exert any sort of punitive uh, measures against someone if they either mistakenly or purposefully violate our voter registration um, policies. So just to you know put you on the spot though, you you don't fully believe Mark Meadows' account that he was registered to vote in a sixteen by thirty two double wide on the side of Black Mountain. I don't. I don't. I feel like <laughs> I feel like he or those who were advising him didn't understand how voter registration in North Carolina is supposed to work, which is a problem in and of itself, especially because the states administer the elections. He lives in this state. He is a representative of the state or was. Um, yeah. So I, I think that uh, I, I don't think that that was actually his address. I can't imagine him hosting little fundraisers there. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a double wide. I lived in one until I was 11, 12 years old and we moved back up yonder. So from the yep. double wide I came, I will happily go back to. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Brooke Medina, 
one last thing, just to kind of put a bow on this conversation, North Carolina politics. Uh, we saw the polling data. They did the favorability data. Um, is there any other issue? I know Trump is the elephant in the room on this election, but this is really going to be an economic election. Is there anything you're covering, whether it's the polling, the data, the stuff you're doing with Carolina Journal? Y- y'all just talking to policymakers around Raleigh for the state. Th- this is the economy, the economy, the economy, isn't it? Well, it is going to be in the general election. I mean, inflation is now even at the next 40-year high. So it's at 8.5%. It rose in March. Uh, So that is certainly going to be a central focus, as it should be, for this next election. But one thing we asked uh, the voters in in this past poll was, what are some of the other issues that matter to you? And still, among GOP primary voters in North Carolina, it's immigration, illegal immigration. So... Uh, take that for what it's worth, but that is an issue that North Carolina GOP primary voters care about. We don't deal with that uh, federal issues like that at John Locke Foundation. We're far more concerned with state level policies. That's where we can exert some um, some uh, research clout. And so we're specifically focused on advancing school choice, making sure regardless of where you're from, that you have access to a really good education. Um, we're also focused on, of course, voter reform so that we can have um, voters voting in the district that they actually live in, not just like a double wide that they say they live in that's far from their home. Um, And then we're also focused on energy policies. We're moving more into that. We know the rising cost of energy is of top concern to North Carolinians as well. And so uh, if you go to johnlock.org, you're going to find lots of content related to these issues, as well as a a number of other ones all across the state. Uh, We want to make sure that we're continuing to advance freedom, um, but especially on the economic, education, and elections fronts. The North Carolina primary that we're talking about will be held in May. Uh, our friend Brooke Medina does a great job covering these things. We will continue to have you back on, but until we see you again here in a few weeks, let folks know where they can follow you. You already mentioned all the John Locke stuff, but where they, can they follow you and your social media so they can keep track of Brooke Medina when she's not off on cruises and gallivanting around LA and all the other fun stuff you were doing before election season kicks in and you got to work for a living. Yeah, yeah. I, I took a little siesta before election season. Now I'm ready and rearing to go. Uh, but you can follow follow me on Twitter at Brooke underscore Medina underscore or my Instagram, Brooke Medina writes. And uh, so would love to connect with you all there. And thank you for listening. Yeah, you do great work. We appreciate you so much. Can't wait to talk to you again, my friend, Brooke Medina. Thank you so much for the time, ma'am. Thank you. Welcome back to Hertel. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Let's touch in on a story we have covered a couple of times on the program. Mark Meadows, former congressman. Uh, we mentioned it with today's guest, Brooke Medina. Well, come to find out after we finished our chat with Brooke Medina, something interesting happened about Mr. Mark Meadows. Uh, here we go. Former chief of staff removed from the New York, uh, from the North Carolina voter rolls amid fraud investigation. On April 11th, Macon County officials, quote, direct quote here, administratively removed the voter registration of Mark Meadows after documentation indicated he lived in Virginia and last voted 
in the 2021 election there, meaning in Virginia, North Carolina State Board of Elections spokesperson Patrick Gannon said in a statement, this is from the Washington Post, a representative for Meadows declined to comment on Wednesday. State investigators in North Carolina, as we detailed with our friend Brooke shortly ago, launched a probe into Meadows' voter registration last month after news organizations reported he had registered to vote in 2020 using the address of a mobile home in Scaly Mountain, North Carolina. The former owner of the mobile home claimed Meadows never stayed there, prompting the state attorney general to request an investigation. A couple layers here. One is he's a former congressman of that area. Uh, number two is he was the chief of staff for Trump and was heavily involved in all the January 6th stuff. He was one of the guys that was pushing, pushing that there's massive election fraud. Turns out he knew exactly what he was talking about because he'd be doing it. His wife's also involved. No word yet whether she has also been removed. But clearly there was fraud here. One has to wonder if he was a normal person, would he be having a stiffer penalty as we have seen in places like Texas and elsewhere, people doing voter fraud. I think he got off light. I think he's a hypocrite and I'm very glad he's no longer in elected office. I don't care who you are. Don't cheat. If you're going to cheat, keep it on the down low. Don't accuse everybody else of cheating when you know good and well you're the one that's been cheating all along. So, Mark Meadows, enjoy what you get out of this. I have suspicions this isn't the last we've heard of your wrongdoing as you continue to be investigated. May you never hold elected office again. You have no character, you are unfit for office, and you're a cheater. End of story. More Hertel right after this. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I heard tell show, you know, we like to usually end on a good note, positive note, something happy. Let's go over to England. This is a cool little story. Uh, a charity for ex-prisoners say just 16% of those they support end up reoffending. Uh, Key for Life has held more than 500 prisoners and young men at risk of committing crimes find jobs. Eva Hamilton, founder of the charity, said many of them they see overcome huge traumas. One ex-offender helped the program said, I can't even see myself going back to prison. Based in Somerset. Charity actively encourages employers to hire ex-offenders and has now been running for over a decade. Reading from the BBC here, it offers skills training and emotional support for those trying to rebuild their lives after a prison term. 
Key for Life says that two-thirds of its users go on to find work and find a job helps reduce the chance of them reoffending by over a third. Ms. Hamilton set up the charity with the aim of breaking the cycle of crime. She said it's hard enough to get a job and even more difficult for people that really want to turn their lives around and to be given another chance. It just seems so many people feeling they've got no options in life. They turn to bad things. One of the ways the charity offers support is by hiring mentors who are also ex-offenders to teach job and life skills. Those men get to experience music, football. Remember, we're talking about England here, so they're talking about soccer, not football. Uh, A little note there. Equine therapy, which works, by the way, uh, NLP, that's neuro-linguistic programming and emotional release sessions. Ben Williams, 24, was just 17 when he was jailed for stabbing someone in retaliation after his friend was killed. He was sentenced to 12 years in prison and served six with his good behavior, got out. He said jail was very, it wasn't very easy for me at the start. It became quite a lot easier to deal with at the end. I think that forced me to grow up quite a lot. I haven't felt like this in a long time, and I feel like this is my opportunity to better myself. And I probably won't get another opportunity like this if I mess it up. So I don't see myself ever going back to prison. A charity holds workshops with various employers who then interview the young men in full knowledge that they hold a criminal record. James Lovell from Wessex Water attended one of the workshops. He said, I think it's great to support this. What I can see here today is a number of young men that have had some difficult circumstances and some difficult times in their lives. What I see now is that they are putting everything that they possibly can into improving the outlook of those lives. Mr. Williams was offered a short work placement in Wessex Water after the session. He said, I never thought I'd be in a situation like this. A lot of people wouldn't look at us twice in a job, and I've had that I've had that most of my life. So it's time to make something of myself and be like, I told you so. Good luck to them. Good little charity. Always good to see people. We don't ever want to give up on people here on Hertel. They want to take a shot at turning their life around. We should be there with a hand up to help them do so. We always want people, once they've paid their debt to society, to come back and become productive members of that society. It's good for all of us. That'll do it for Hertel. I hope you are subscribed. If you're not, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Make sure you hit the like button too. And if you really want to do us a favor, it'll only cost you a couple extra clicks, leave a comment. I love those. We always read them. We've even gotten show ideas from them. You got a question, you got a topic you want us to cover. Let us know about that. You want to be a little more direct. Hertelshow at gmail.com. Send us an email. Might even read it on the air. Might even invite you on to talk about it. We just did that with somebody that had something he wanted to say about our program for a future program. At Hertel on the Twitter, my hashtag four for the fire. Of course, the hashtag of our guests, always on the lower third graphics on the YouTube. Make sure you're supporting them. So wherever you are across the street or around the world, until we talk to you again tomorrow on Hertel or on the Good Talks podcast uh, playlist, if you just want to listen to the interviews or on the Twice on Sunday show or whatever of the Hertel products you are getting ready to consume, you're going to get the noise of the news cycle turned down. And we will see you again. We hope you are well. We hope you are well fed. We'll talk to you tomorrow on Hertel. All the music on Hertel is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Source 11.